Welcome to Real Estate Financing Principles, Chapter 15. First thing we talk about is basics of mortgage law and mortgage lending. And uh, the first thing we want to know is that the word mortgage is Latin for mort and gage, which means dead pledge. So when you pledge your property to secure a loan, you're really giving them a dead pledge of the property and it comes to life if you default on the terms that you've agreed to with the lender which are usually found specifically in two documents one's called a mortgage one's called a note so the borrower gives a note and a document called a mortgage two separate instruments to the lender so the borrower is doing the mortgaging. A lot of times students get this backwards. They think that the lender is doing the mortgaging. And think of it this way. When you go to a lender, you go for money. So you can see that arrow going from the lender to the borrower, which means it's the lender that's giving you money. And in return, you give the lender two documents. You give a note and a mortgage. Uh, the note document, under that document, you as the borrower are called the payor. Under the mortgage document, you're called a mortgagor. The lender, then, is the payee or mortgagee. So let's get our terms correct. It's really the borrower, that's the mortgagor, payor, and the lender, the payee and or mortgagee, under, depending on what instrument we're talking about, the note or the mortgage. That's the basics of, of a mortgage loan. So, uh, the uh, you know so we'll want to know the mortgage or borrower and mortgagee is the lender. A deed of trust. Uh, I'm going to make this a little more complicated than it is, but a deed of trust is very similar to a way of financing property as a mortgage is. With a deed of trust, let's look at it this way. Let's pretend that the borrower needs six million dollars. And so in order to get his $6 million, there isn't one lender that will uh, lend him that. But let's say there are six lenders that will. Well, the six lenders say, okay, we'll each give a million dollars to the borrower. But who's going to collect our payments? Uh, which one of us lenders gets the first payment? Who gets the sixth payment? Uh, who has to go through foreclosure? Who's going to take on this responsibility? So the lenders may appoint a trustee to act in their behalf to deal with the borrower. So the borrower then gives the trustee the, a note, and then rather than a mortgage document, the borrower gives another document called a deed of trust. So the two documents that go from the borrower to the trustee are called a note, deed of trust, but they do exactly the same as what we find under the note and the mortgage. The note is the IOU, I owe you this amount of money, and the deed of trust says, uh, borrower says to the trustee and the deed of trust, if I don't pay you trustee on behalf of your lenders, uh, you uh, acting for your lenders can foreclose on the property, get the money and then pay off the lenders whatever the balance is due from the sale. So the trustee then gives money to the borrower the money that the trustee got from the lenders that they're representing. So this is kind of a deed of trust arrangement. But as far as individuals are concerned in Illinois, the note deed of trust is very similar to a note in mortgage, uh, the instruments as far as, uh, as, far as uh, uh, borrowing money from individuals. But I do it uh, this way here to kind of really make a little bit more of a point on why we might, another reason we might use a deed of trust versus a mortgage. So the borrower under the deed of trust 
is called the trustor. The lender is are the beneficiaries of the trust, and the trustee, of course, uh, is the one who represents the lenders. Uh, so a deed of trust, even though it has the word deed in it, is no deed. It is not a deed. A deed of trust is nothing more than a lien on property. It does not convey title. And that uh, brings us to then some of the terms that we just reviewed. The borrower is the mortgagor under a mortgage document and the payor under the note. The lender would be the mortgagee, receiver of the mortgage and the payee, and uh, the PI is the principal, the sum of money due the lender, and interest, which is the charge for lenders using money. So when I say PI, we're talking principal and interest. That's what the borrower must pay back to the lender, the principal borrowed plus interest. Now, Illinois, we can make this a, very, we can make this a, five, a, a 20 minute discussion or a two minute discussion. So let's make it a two minute discussion. This area of title theory versus lien theory that they have in your book is very complicated stuff. We don't care. Here's what we want to know. Uh, we're not in a title theory state, which means that the lender actually takes title. And we're not really a lien theory state, where, which says that the, the, uh, the mortgage is only a lien on the property. We're kind of in between as a state. So Illinois is called an intermediate theory state. And this really uh, is a fairly complex area of law, which for our purposes just is not really anything we really care about getting involved in. We just want to know that we're not really a lien theory. We're not really a title theory state as it relates to mortgages and liens. We're in between. We're kind of undecided, if you will. We're an intermediate theory state. And that is something you're, you're going to have to know. So intermediate theory state as it relates to uh, uh, mortgage law, law uh, mortgage lien law. When we pay off a mortgage, when we you know, hold the property for the 30-year period of time and we pay it off, or we sell the property and the proceeds of the sale go to paying off the amount of the loan, uh, there is a satisfaction of mortgage that the lender must uh, put in the public records. And that's a result of a clause in our mortgage document that requires the lender to do that, and that's called the defeasance clause. So the defeasance clause in a mortgage says, hey, Mr. Lender, if I, in fact, should pay off the, uh, this loan that I borrowed from you, you must put in the public records that the lien has been satisfied, the mortgage has been satisfied, so that subsequent purchasers know that there's no more lien on the property. Uh, we said there were two documents involved in mortgage loan transactions. The first is the note. It's a document simply says, uh, I, borrower, owe you, lender, a certain amount of money and uh, payable in certain installments and, and uh, over a certain period of time. Uh, and I promise to pay you back. The other important thing about that promissory note is for the lender, it becomes a negotiable instrument, kind of like a check. In other words, he can take that and endorse that over to somebody else, and then that is the party that you owe. So the negotiable instrument is transferable that debt is transferable to another party. And that's exactly what most lenders will do. After they uh, issue, after you issue them this promissory note, they'll go and sell it in the secondary mortgage market. 
and they'll get the proceeds and lend more money. Meanwhile, you now have an obligation to whoever, who, whoever is the holder in due course of that note, whoever purchases it. Uh, sometimes we say when we borrow money and we are able to borrow a, uh, uh, put a small amount of our money down while we borrow other people's money, we're using a principle called leverage or OTP, other people's money. And it's, it's the principle that real estate wealth is based on. So for a little bit of money, you can borrow a lot of money and control a, a, a very expensive asset like real property using their money, not yours. Terms of the note. We'll look at each of our notes. And there's one in the, the book you can look at. It's going to tell you the uh, number of uh, years to repay the loan. It'll tell you the percentage rate that you have to pay. Something, sometimes these are fixed rates. Sometimes they're called ARMs. They adjust over a period of time. Uh, sometimes the note will call for impound or escrow accounts where the lender will hold a certain amount of money for you so that when the taxes and the property insurance become due, they'll actually pay them in your behalf from the impound or escrow accounts that they hold at their lending institution for you. Uh, usury, uh, and we don't really find usury in Illinois too much, but in the old days, usury was the maximum interest rate a lender could charge, could legally charge on a mortgage loan. We've really done with all, we've really done away with most of the usury, if not all the usury statutes in Illinois, but usury is, charged, is where a lender would charge an illegal state uh, or local governmental uh, uh, maximum interest rate that they can charge for a loan. And there's our usury again. Loan origination fees paid by the borrower uh, for a loan application, and that's called the Regulation Z. Has to do with uh, with uh, with uh, loan applications and uh, and uh, with the obligations of loan officers. Discount points again. One point is one percent of the loan. Prepayment penalty, in some cases, certain loans can have a prepayment penalty that if you should sell the property before the property, before you've uh, paid off the amount of the loan, um, the lender can actually charge you a bit of additional prepaid interest uh, at uh, when the property sold. So in addition to paying the lender back the amount of the balance of the loan that you owe the lender, they can also charge you a bit of a penalty for doing that. Uh, most prepayment penalties are um, you know, either not assessed or not legal. Uh, but you always want to read your, the terms of your note to see if the lender might be able to charge you a prepayment penalty if you pay it off early. Impound escrow accounts. Uh, there are some rules for those. We'll talk about those. Loan origination points, as you look in your book on this, it's basically this is a service fee. When a, lender, when a borrower goes in to borrow money uh, and uh, uh, they go through the loan officer and the loan officer and the loan company, uh, the loan officer and mortgage loan company is going, or mortgage broker, uh, as the case may be, may charge you a fee for their service. How do they determine the fee? It's based on a percentage of the amount of the loan. We call these points. So if they charge you a loan and origination fee of two points, in this case, two points of $150,000 that you borrowed, then you would pay the lender a $3,000 service fee. 
By the way, these service fees can either be paid by separate check or they can be actually put back into the amount of the loan. So you're, you're in some cases actually borrowing the loan origination fee uh, that you're, quote, paying to get the loan. So we have a promissory note, face value of $200,000. The lender would sell that in the secondary market and probably receive 95% of it or $190,000. Why? Because it would be discounted uh, by that investor who bought the note. So they're buying a $200,000 note for $190,000. The benefit to them is the investor then gets to take the $200,000 collected over a period of time, knowing that the loan will probably only be outstanding about seven years and make a $10,000 profit. Pretty good return for him. What's the benefit to the lender? They put $190,000 in their pocket. They get to go out and uh, uh, lend that $190,000, replenish the funds and, at their lending institution, uh, and continue to make uh, loans of which they charge loan origination fees. Uh, there are uh, other discount rates, and these are discount rates that uh, lenders would charge in order to reduce the interest rate that they normally would charge to a lender to make it more affordable. So say a borrower uh, isn't able to afford the current interest rate that the lender wants to uh, get as far as yield, so the lender would charge discount points to the borrower so they would pay upfront fees to the lender, uh, here again almost like prepaid interest, and by doing so the lender would lower the interest rate. So, uh, what happens with these discount points uh, that help to uh, increase the yield and yet lower an interest rate is something like this. You have Joe Borrower wants to borrow $150,000. Uh, the, uh, the lender wants an 8% yield, but uh, Joe can only afford 7.5%. So technically the lender says, hey, I'm going to be losing a half percent. Why do I want to make this deal? Joe Borrower says, how about if I pay you that half percent up front, will you lend me the 7.5? Lender says, sure, because I'll, I'll get my yield of 8%. How do we compute that? What we do is we take the yield the lender wants, we subtract the contract rate that the borrower wants. The difference is one half percent, which is a loss to the lender, so we need to get that back to the lender. How do we compute this in dollars? How do we change that? that uh, discount percentage to actual dollar amounts. Here's our, the way we convert that. For each, uh, we have the uh, one half percent difference. So we take one half and we convert it to eighths. Four eighths is four points. So we convert the difference in yield to eighths and that tells us how many points we have to pay up front to the lender, a point being a percent of the loan. So if we take $150,000 times those four points, that's going to be $6,000. So borrower says, at loan closing, I will write you a check, Mr. Lender, for $6,000, and you will then reduce that uh, rate to 7.5% so I can make mortgage payments on that and not the 8%. So that's how uh, we would compute the amount of points that you would, quote, buy down the loan with, the loan interest rate. Again, what's the big clue? Convert to eighths. The difference between the yield and the contract rate, convert to eighths, that tells you the points. Multiply that by the loan, that tells you the dollar amount. The points can be paid by the seller, 
the buyer, a broker, a builder, or refinanced as part of the loan. So where that money comes from is a whole other deal, but you need to know how to compute discount points uh, to reduce the yield on loans. A mortgage. The mortgage documents, we have a note document, a mortgage document. On page 291, we talk about the mortgage document. We said mortgage means dead pledge. You pledge the property as collateral until the, the debt is repaid. The mortgage document, the mortgage document calls certain for certain duties of the borrower. The borrower mortgagor must pay on the note, must pay real estate taxes, must obtain property insurance annually and keep it adequately insured, must maintain the property in good state of repair, and uh, get permission from the lender before you make major alterations. Other mortgage clauses, the acceleration clause is important. The acceleration clause makes the entire amount due on default of the borrower, not just one monthly payment. So the acceleration clause it says basically if there's a default, Mr. Borrower, we accelerate all of the payments that are due and that's what you have to pay us. Otherwise, the lender would have to basically foreclose on each monthly payment and not the full amount of the loan. Assignment of the mortgage. Uh, the mortgagee, if you will, the lender, can sell the note and in some cases assign the mortgage document as security to a third party. So now the third party holds the note as well as holds the mortgage document and now not only do you owe that third party holder in due course, but that third party has the ability and the right to go and foreclose on you if you don't pay them. Uh, often the original lender that's making the loan will continue to service the loan and will continue to hold that mortgage even though they've sold the paper and they'll do that for a fee. A defeasance clause uh, is that clause as we said that says Mr. Lender when I paid you off I want you to go to the public records and make sure that the public records show that my loan has been satisfied that I don't owe you any more money that the lien has been expunged from record if you will cleared from title. Hypothecation is just a mortgage term. It says that you can pledge property for collateral while you keep ownership of it. Often, if you on personal property items, if you went to, say, a pawnbroker, they would lend you money, but they would also hold on to possession of the very item that you've put that you've pledged as collateral. Real estate's different. Apothecation says you can pledge property and actually continue to own it. The alienation clause is a clause that says, Mr. Borrower, if you alienate yourself, distance yourself from this property, if you will sell it, then that will trigger the acceleration clause and you will owe us everything due and owing immediately. We don't want you selling this property to somebody, taking the money, and then just continuing to pay us for the next 30 years with the money because we may not get it. So we're going to we're going to protect our interests and say that if you do sell the property, you have to pay us uh, immediately everything that's due and owing. We will accelerate the full amount of the loan if you sell the property. So it prevents the seller from allowing a buyer to assume the loan or it prevents the seller from selling subject to the loan. Now, if the lender agrees to that, you can, but typically mortgage loans will prohibit your ability to do that because of the alienation clause. 
impound accounts, taxes, insurance. We want to know that you can, you, the lender can require those, but you can terminate when the loan balance is 65% of value. You don't have to do the impound accounts if you don't want to. Uh, also, the borrower can create a pledged account where they can voluntarily put uh, money into a pledge account instead of the, impound, the automatic impound account that you pay every month. Um, the tax reserve that the lender can require can't be more than 150% of the last tax bill, so they limit the amount that they can impound for property taxes. Assignment of the rents, basically this is on commercial property. If you've got a commercial property where you have rents during the foreclosure process, the lender will be entitled to receiving the rents while they're going through foreclosure. They're not going to let you have the rents in while they're not getting paid. A land contract is a contract, so it's an agreement between a, uh, whereby uh, the buyer, which we call the vendee, makes a down payment and monthly payments to the seller, we call the seller or the vendor, uh, and at the end of a certain time period, the seller then conveys a deed to the buyer, so that's when the buyer becomes the legal title holder. So during the term of the land contract, the seller retains legal title. At the end of the land contract is when the seller would convey a deed to the buyer if the buyer met all the terms and conditions of the installment contract and then convey legal title at the end of the, quote, installment contract. Sometimes these are called contract for deeds. Think in terms of every month you're, you're buying, a, uh, over a period of time, you're buying the deed from the seller. And at the very last payment, you get the deed. Uh, these are very complicated, and uh, uh, before you or any of your clients or customers get involved in installment contracts or land contracts, uh, uh, we advise that they seek uh, legal counsel. Foreclosure. Uh, there are three types of foreclosure. We're only concerned about judicial foreclosure, which is what we find in Illinois, which is where foreclosure is done through a court process. So real quickly, what we are saying here uh, that we found on the earlier screen, uh, you can go back and take another look at it if you want to, but here, here's the bottom line. Uh, in Illinois, you have an equitable right of redemption before the sale, and then after the sale, there's a bit of a statutory a right uh, of redemption. Uh, so uh, you do have some time to either pay your monthly payments that you missed which is before the sale, just pay what you've missed and maybe some outstanding you know, interest or fees. And then after the sale is over, before the successful person has received, you know, the successful bidder at the auctions received the actual sheriff's deed or deed to the property, you have the ability to pay back to the lender everything you owe him, including court costs and attorney's fees and all the other fees. And the, there will be no... Um, foreclosure and you'll just if you will own the property free and clear but obviously that's the big problem most people just can't afford to go and pay the whole thing off but if you can uh, then you can you can once again save it from foreclosure and uh, stop the foreclosure sale and uh, move on uh, there's this timeline you don't really have to know it but I'll go through it with you real quick and just point a couple things out uh, notice we see before sale and after sale. This is going to be rights to redeem the property. So we'll want to know, at the, when we're all done with this, we'll want to know what we mean by before sale and after sale. So there's a notice given, a lisp, uh, there's a default, 
uh, 90 days non-payment of mortgage, the lender sends a notice of uh, non-payment, uh, 90 days non-payment. Uh, often they'll file a list pendants, which is, means there's a lien pending on the property. They give notice for you to cure that. Uh, there's a publication of the default. Uh, there's a court proceeding, court sale, court orders foreclosure, any deficiency judgment that might be also ordered along with that. There's an auction of the property. And at the auction, the successful bidder gets a certificate of sale. The reason is we have to give the defaulted owner a period of time to get the property back if they can uh, pay back fees. So essentially what happens is before there's a deed, actual deed given conveying title, we have to give the defaulted owner a chance to get it back. And we do that. Uh, list pendants, uh, you've seen that before. That means lien pending. <coughs> Simply says that when a foreclosure suit is filed by a lender, the first thing they do is in the public records put a red flag out there saying lien pending, which basically says, hey, borrow, hey, new, uh, new uh, subsequent purchasers of the property, uh, don't purchase the property till you find out what happens with the suit that's going on. And then you've got your end of chapter tests.